You're listening to the Living Inside Out podcast, and I'm your host, Tokes Aruturi. This is episode 36. Welcome to the Leaving Inside Out podcast, where we believe greater things are yet to come. Episode 36 is, the future is superior to the present. Hey you, what have you been up to? I'm currently enjoying a new lease on life. I feel like I've been battered or I've been to war and it's my resting season. And this always happens right after I've gone through a difficult patch like I have been. This past week has been difficult for one reason or the other. And yet challenges do have a way of cleaning out the dirt from our lives, just like a hurricane that pulls off dead leaves and, you know, whips off old roofs (laughs) or roofs that were not secured properly. Roofs, roofs. I think it should be roofs. (laughs) At least we say hooves. We don't say hoofs, we say hooves. That's the English language for you. Storms come to sweep away debris and we are left with clear blue sky and then we're able to rebuild again. What does it mean to be future-minded? That was the question that concluded the previous podcast episode. And we're going to go back into future mind is funny saying going back to the future but going back into future mindedness on today's episode this week like I mentioned has been a real harrowing one and I'm laughing now because I'm stumped at how absurd it is to me to look back I can't even put into words exactly why I found it so difficult except to say that my mind was under siege under siege as in every move I wanted to make was hijacked by a fearful thought. And so I've always been able to just kind of pull back from life or pull back from my own life to watch how I'm handling life. And, you know, I can see where I'm making mistakes and I can see, sometimes I can see a better route to travel on, but that didn't help me this time. (laughs) but it's helping me now because I'm looking back and like, okay, that was a bit crazy. In a nutshell, I was scared of the future, my immediate and long-term future, because it suddenly looked as though the life that I have imagined and dreamed of and desired was going to remain in my mind. It was going to remain a dream and imagination and a thought. And I was scared and desperate, dare I say, I was also hopeless. It was as if, no, not even as if, it was because I'm now certain that I needed to have a practical experience of what I shared last week and also what I'm about to share today. Deception is a real thing, guys, and My experience with it, I've mentioned it in previous episodes, it came when my son was very ill in hospital. I was in a state of hypnosis. I was sharing this with a friend and he used the word hypnosis and I thought, very true. That's what it felt like because I couldn't muster up the strength to rebuke the words of death that were being whispered in my ears. And then eventually I prayed 
and the scales fell off my eyes. And in that moment, I was taken out of the trance knowing who I was, which is a child of God, and that I had authority over the entire situation. I began to use my voice in that moment to declare and turn things around. But while I was in the state of deception that felt like hypnosis, nobody could tell me otherwise. No one could tell me that what I was believing, as negative as it was, was not my reality. Because the thoughts in our heads, negative thoughts in particular, find a corresponding physical proof within your line of vision. So when you live with the hope of a better future, there are times your knowing is enough. It's enough for you to know that your future is beautiful and that power, that knowledge keeps you going. But there are times that you need a bit more than that. And so you look around for validation that the future is indeed good and, and that things are going to improve and every piece of work you're doing is leading you in the direction of your dreams or your goals or your purpose. But then you look around and you are met with evidence of the contrary. And that's what happened to me this week. The result, therefore, is discouragement and doubt that what you've believed for so long will not materialize any longer. <laughs> Fear soon follows and with it comes paralysis or an inability to carry out the most basic of tasks. And of course, if you can't start, then you're never going to complete it. I believe our emotions, particularly negative ones, lie close to one another just like sardines packed in a tin. So when doubt is woken up, fear stares as well, and then it hits discouragement, and then anxiety hears the noise, and we end up with this domino effect until we feel powerless to live in the present, not to mention commanding the future. So how can we command the future when we have no hope presently? I believe we can do this by discarding the wrong mindsets and adopting new ones about our position or our role in creating what we hope for. One mindset to adopt is this, the future is superior to the present because it frees you to think in terms of a better future and not a limiting current set of circumstances. By God's grace, we are at the tail end of the pandemic. Now, do you remember just how disturbed we all were at the start of it just over a year ago? It's gone so quickly. <laughs> kind of gone quickly, kind of gone very slowly. The uncertainty of our future, the fear of the disease that we did not know much about, the deaths and stories of deaths and loved ones and the construction of the Nightingale Hospital at Excel in London. That one was staggering for me because I've attended many events there and I'm familiar with the layout. And then reading the details of this makeshift hospital, which included two morgues, <laughs> whew, meant that they were expecting and preparing for death as well as treating people. 
Then there's a fact that we have teenage sons in this house and I didn't know if getting them to stay indoors would be a walk in the park or they were going to argue with me. I didn't know if compliance was going to come easy. And so there was that too. The government and healthcare professionals detailed a plan that stretched into the future to make sure fewer people were infected by this virus and consequently fewer people died. When they said stay home, it was because by utilizing statistics, they'd figured out the number of deaths that would occur based on the daily rate of infection. So in that moment, the authorities were able to make a decision that would have a positive impact on our future, even though in that particular moment there was fear and there was doubt and uncertainty. So let's bring this closer to home. Your future is superior to your present state because you can do something about the future, but you can't do anything about the past or the present. You do have some level of power over today, and that's perspective, how you choose to see it. And the operative word, of course, is choose. And I love that because it means that things are not happening by chance in your life, but you take ownership of how you navigate today as well as how you drive tomorrow. The mistake I made during my past week of challenges was using the present as a marker for tomorrow. I basically said, because of the way things are right now, tomorrow will be even worse. And I find that that is how many of us think. We pull from the evidence that's around us and we are so certain of how things are going to turn out because we use that as a stamp or a validation of what is. And often we couldn't be further from the truth. The future holds so much hope and promise and possibility, yet we judge it based on our current circumstances. Abraham is known as the father of the Jews or the father of Israel because he was person zero, <laughs> the one to whom the promise can be traced to. This is God's promise of a whole nation being birthed from him and a, a nation that would be great and everyone will be jealous of. That promise was made to one man and his name's Abraham. Ooh, and at the time the promise was made, Abraham and the entire world, well, the world was smaller than it is now, but the whole wide world had concluded that he was infertile. So in that state of infertility, along with the evidence of even more infertility, i.e. his wife was menopausal, I mean, think of a stamp, right? <laughs> it was bad enough she couldn't get pregnant. Then her periods stopped to co-sign that fact. And it was in this place of complete hopelessness and barrenness that God made a bold promise and so Sarah decides to offer God a helping hand. It was the least she could do. Let it never be said that I sat idly by when God clearly needed my help. And so she gave her husband her servant to sleep with so he could become a father and God wouldn't be embarrassed by his own promise failing. 
So I find that many of us jump in to help God realize the promise he made to us because there's a lack of physical evidence that his spiritual promise will materialize. And what happens instead is that we end up going in a completely new direction. In The Alchemist, best-selling book by Paulo Coelho, Santiago is traveling with a caravan of over 200 people, over 400 animals, and they're going across the desert. They're heading in the direction of an oasis on their way to Egypt. And then he makes an observation that sometimes the traveling party came across large boulders that were too big for the camels to navigate their way through. And so the caravan had to go in a different direction to get all around it, the boulders, before continuing in the direction that they were meant to be traveling. At other times, the sand was too fine for the camel's hooves. And still, there were times that they came across a large basin of dried salt, which is where a lake used to be. And the camels were completely refused to move. Whenever that happened, the guides would have to disembark, offload the animals, get rid of all their load, carry the goods across by hand, then lead the camels over, and then reload and carry on the journey. And then there were times that the guys would actually die or fall sick and somebody would have to be picked as a new guide. The observation that Santiago made was that no matter the obstacle, no matter the diversion, no matter the situation, the caravan carried on traveling in the same direction. They always went right back to following a particular star that was centered above the oasis, which was their destination. So every time the people looked up, either they had slept and woken up or they just looked up and they saw that the star was facing north, it meant that they were still traveling in the right direction and that brought them joy. We find that there are countless detours in life. If you have dreamed of having a family unit, for example, but you are currently in the midst of a divorce, that's just a detour. It doesn't mean you would not have what you've desired. If you've worked so hard for a promotion and yet you've just been told to train your subordinate for the position that you've been working hard for, detour. (laughs) And your detour might require turning left or right away from that company and then continuing your journey with another firm, but recognize still that is just a detour. I love that a star is used in The Alchemist to designate journeying towards an oasis or a better future. Because when God made that promise to Abraham, he also used the stars and he told him to go outside and look at the stars. And if if he could count them all, then he would be able to count his descendants. So I can imagine that whenever there was a detour in Abraham's life, such as yet another friend becoming a grandfather, not even father, (laughs) or Sarah had a headache and she wasn't in the mood for Nuki, he'd go outside and lie down facing the stars. Maybe he even played around with the names of each child. I don't know. But he used the stars to keep his mind focused on where he was headed. 
In Nigeria, children are named to describe the circumstances in which they were born, or they might be named after the future that the parents are hoping for. I've got a cousin, formerly known as Duro. Duro means wait or stay, and it's a name typically given to a child born after multiple failed pregnancies or even after children who died in infancy. Traditionally, such children were seen as the one and same child who just came over and over and over, uh, dying and coming back and dying and coming back repeatedly to torment their mother. Well, I don't know what reason. I read in a book that they were doing that to torment their mother. I can't remember what other tribes or other cultures believed. And so they would mark the child in a prominent place so that if the child came back, quote unquote, they would recognize them. But often they'd also give it a name that commanded or pleaded for it to stay on this side of life. And so my cousin became a Christian and she no longer wanted to be associated with such a belief and changed her name. Many of our beliefs and practices in Africa come about as a way to cope with tragedy or unexplainable circumstances. So I don't see them as savage or ridiculous. And that's my warning for anyone who wants to call us that name, okay? (laughs) Instead of practical tips, today I would love to leave you with some affirmations that I use to keep within sight. My future is superior to and even more beautiful than my past. I've got this stuck on a post-it note in my office and it reminds me that the story does not end here, whatever here looks like, that there is more ahead for me. The reason I believe in writing reminders where I can see them is because we are surrounded by more than enough visuals that suggest otherwise. And if you're going to direct the course of your life, you need to curate or build a suitable environment that will help you thrive. Another affirmation I use is, I have everything I need inside me to become all God created me to be. This one is something I repeat regularly and it comes in handy when you feel drained or you find yourself looking around for resources that just don't seem like they're forthcoming. For example, money. When I say I built my previous business with sweat and tears, I'm not kidding. (laughs) I couldn't afford anything, could not afford a web designer, but I had Google and I had internet, and I had also dogged determination. So I learned how to build one myself. And each time someone said no to me, I found a way to turn that no into a maybe. And sometimes those maybes eventually became yeses. So when I was discouraged that I had no reason to hope, I would pray and ask God to fill me with joy because joy would go on to awaken hope and peace and I was able to avoid being rooted to the spot. So really, you came to earth with everything you need for your journey and if you're finding this hard to believe, carry out the simple exercise. 
write a list of successes you've had and the circumstances that led to them. And it can be as simple as sending an email to a client when you were too frightened to do so, but you did it anyway, or plucking up the courage to ask out the person who later became your spouse, or even deciding to adopt because you were not able to get pregnant. Whatever you have completed, no matter how mundane, could not have happened if you didn't pull from the strength that is already within you. And my third affirmation is, I do not make emotional decisions. This is really both an affirmation as well as a promise to myself. You see, last week as I suffered, (laughs) I made several emotional decisions. The decision to not make the phone calls I was supposed to make, the decision to wait for things to become more bearable before making my move, the decision to have two whole deep fried plantains and eggs with fried stew. That was all emotional. And it's because our first port of call or our immediate goal during a difficult situation is relief. We want to feel instant relief, even if it creates a problem in the future. Emotional decisions are always carried out to ease our discomfort and they don't solve our long-term issues. So my eating two whole plantains with eggs and stew made me feel good while I was eating it, but I'm going to have to do double time on my running or my exercises or my stretch yoga and all the stuff I've been doing lately to get rid of that extra thick fat layer that has I have managed to acquire because I was being emotional. There'll be even more on future living in the next episode. And I look forward to you joining me then. If, however, you have found this episode helpful or maybe previous ones, please share it with your network, either on social media or through WhatsApp or the traditional word of mouth even one share, one more person subscribing, or just your one extra review. It really does help to drive up the listenership of the Living Inside Out podcast. So I'd appreciate it if you'd indulge me. My email address is talks at talksarotere.com. I realized that I forgot to mention that last week. If you'd like more information on the Write Your Rockstar Story workshop, which is coming up soon, or any future workshops, drop me an email. We can also connect on social. I'm at Tux Arutere on major platforms, major as in Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. My most active ones are, most active is is Instagram, and then Facebook, and then LinkedIn, and then Twitter. (laughs) Ah, thank you so much. We've come to the end. Thank you for listening. And until next week, remember to leave from the inside out. Have a good one.